You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 199. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I am exuberant about today's episode. There's so many things I want to talk about. We have been building up to episode 200, which will um, land on Valentine's Day, which also happens to be the 16-year anniversary of my mother passing away. And I didn't actually mean for this 200th episode to happen um, on her anniversary of her passing. It's just something that I noticed about a month or two ago that could be an option. And so I just planned for that. And because of it, I have been doing a lot of episodes around the topics that we've been covering for so long and really doing, I guess, a bit of a summary would be the best way to say that, you know, whether it's, you know, talking about the soup metaphor, having um, Alicia Cherie come on and talk about energy, my six year sober episode, addiction is, sobriety is, recovery is, um, you know, the atomic habits, the power sentences, like all of these have really just been like, a bit of a review in a way that I'm summarizing things differently than I would have two years or four years ago when this show was originally launched. And I've been going back over a lot of the old episodes and listening to the way that I described things then to notice if if there's been any shifting, any changing. And because a lot of y'all aren't necessarily going to go back and listen to episode 37 or 88 again, I'm going to make sure that I'm bringing some of these topics back up to us so that we can discuss them again. Um, That's one of the reasons I'm a big proponent for repeating myself, is that I know that the human brain's only taking in a small percentage of the knowledge that it is introduced to the first time, and that it actually, it's in that repetition that we can begin to ingrain it. A lot of the times I bring stuff fresh to y'all that I've just learned in order to explain it externally so I can even learn it deeper. And I find that when people in the tribe or when listeners hit me up and say, hey, not only have I utilized this information, but I've taken it back to my family, I've taken it to meetings, I've taken it into other aspects and areas of my life, and I've discussed it with them, I'm actually integrating it more now than previously when I just listened to it by myself the first time. And I would highly recommend that you do that too if you're not already doing that. Discussing what you're learning on here and having other people bring in their opinions and their values and their belief systems, while I don't want it to necessarily influence or manipulate you to shift who you believe you are and what you're working toward, being able to listen to others and, and create a conversation around this stuff is extremely important. It's one of the ways that we let people know more about what's happening internally to us, as well as it, it begins to release the stigma. Because this the stigma that we're all morally corrupt people who just felt, you know, prey to something that the rest of society seems to be fine with is a misnomer. It's it's completely false. It's there's the fallibility behind that statement is in numerous, numerous ways. Um, and one of the things that I have utilized recently in introducing myself to new content was I joined Hulu in order to watch a show called Dope Sick. And if you've never watched Dope Sick, I would highly recommend that you go check that out. Again, 
disclaimer, it can be a bit triggering uh, emotionally. And if you have any background with or um, others in your life have a background with Oxycontin and um, what that did, that entire, it's just, now I'm starting to stumble on my words because it's a very emotional show. And one of the things, (laughs) I took a lot of things from this. One of the things that I noticed, and I brought this up in my Dharma meeting yesterday, was that like there's like this fear slash anger that comes from watching how our society was manipulated by this company to think that this this medicine was helpful when it was very addictive. And yes, it got rid of pain. It created a ton more on the back end. It's like, my my, my shoulder really hurts, so I think I'm just going to become addicted to something that when I try to stop using it will cause 100,000 times more pain than the shoulder ever caused. And I can't help but, and I say this with all the love and humility that I can, so just embrace what I'm getting ready to say in a way that you you feel the empathy here. I feel blessed that I was an alcoholic. By the time I finished up my 22 years of addiction, I'd cut out the LSD and the ecstasy and the mushrooms and, you know, the Vicodin and the Valiums and the Xanax and the ketamine. And, you know, I cut out the, the cocaine and it's like, well, little frat boy cocaine habit here and there towards the last couple of years. But the, the depths of my drug addiction had pretty much, I mean, even marijuana was beginning to become a nuisance. So that by the time January 12th, 2017 rolled around and I woke up in the shit tub, I was pretty much just dealing with alcoholism. And I can't help but just feel blessed that at no point in my drug using times did Oxy come in front of me in a way that I would have been led down that path because watching this show, which is putting a great intention towards historical accuracy, watching what those who have gone through this have had to experience, it breaks my heart. And if you're one of those people out there who has some level of experience with it or within your family and friendship circles, then bless you and them. And I hope that they have found what they desired and a way out because it's well that has not been as talked about as it was then. You know, a lot of this stuff is happening in like 97 to 2005. Um, They did show a scene last night where a bunch of people went into one of the museums that the sticklers had their name on and did this thing in like 2019. So it's still very much, at least a few years ago, a part of the social conversation. And when I watch a show like that, I can't help but think, how is my content really going to help someone at that level of despair and at that level of suffering? And I don't know if I can answer that question. Uh, I've, I sat there watching the show last night. I even paused it in my brain. Just It was trying to think like someone at that level of pain who needs other it's like I talk a lot about psychology, but there's also a lot of things going on physiologically when somebody reaches that kind of level of um, addiction. Right, and these are people who were not—they weren't addicted to anything previously. They were just living their lives. Oxy was introduced to them, and it became something that was extremely unmanageable. And through the CRSS program, we learned a lot about medically assisted treatment, MAT. And I had no real history with that before. I have certainly talked with and and met people whose doctors would prescribe like marijuana for certain issues that they had, but they were also at the same time seeking to kick alcohol or some other drug. 
And I was like, well, I, for me, I could see where smoking dope would make me want to go drink, but that's not what's happening with you. And I'm not going to tell you what to do for your recovery. This is what we've talked about. Everybody has their own recovery journey. I cannot sit here and say definitively that if you smoke some weed, you're going to go back to who you used to be. I don't know that. I'm not a doctor. Um, although dope sick certainly makes us a little bit more weary about believing every doctor we talk to. There are a lot of them, a lot more than the bad ones. There are tons of good ones who are looking at ways to help people and to be a part of the solution, not the problem. And so when they start talking about Suboxone and some of these other MAT um, medically assisted treatments, I, you know, and I'm watching this and I'm seeing how much it's helping the character played by Michael Keaton. I can't help but say like, all you need to do is watch this and say, okay, I get it. It's still something that you're putting into your body that's a foreign substance, but it's keeping them from relapsing. It's keeping them from feeling like death, right? Like one character said, I'm dead if I keep doing Oxy, and I'm dead if I don't keep doing Oxy. And that was just, I mean, man, talk about just punching me in the gut. And so I didn't necessarily know I was going to go off on this diatribe at the beginning of the episode, but I wanted to let you know that some of the information I've been taking in, it didn't necessarily um, change the way I had believed before, because I had already believed that if somebody somebody has been told and is being directed by a doctor and has that supervision, and this is somebody that is to be trusted, and they say, this is this mat is for you, then, <laughs> then do it. Like, take all of the steps necessary to one day be free from your addiction knowing that you know we're the the alcoholism i have i've got that in me right? i i don't think that the that that's gone away i'm not sitting here saying that i am cured that's ridiculous that's not something that i would even entertain uh, matthew perry from friends fame said that at the end of his diane sawyer interview that if i ever say that i'm cured you better come watch over me and i don't want anyone to ever think that they're they're cured like I can never unring the bell and put the toothpaste back in the tube I'm I have alcoholism it is me it is part of me but it is not all of me there are so many more things about me that are wonderful and joyous and supreme and and, and will bring about greatness in my life that I'm not hanging my hat on the fact that I kicked my alcoholism that I, that I'm that I'm you know healing my traumas, but it is it is part of my journey and it's part of my story. It's part of yours. Right? And when I watch Dope Sick and I think, man, all these people whose lives were ruined and these communities that were massively affected, and it's just how do humans do that to other humans for money? I just it's. It's it's I don't know. I don't know where to end this portion of the show. I just wanted you to know that I've been watching this and it's very much affected me. Um I've never once railed against Matt and I never would have. And when I sat in that CRSS class last semester, a couple of those that were in there uh, were on mat and they were doing that. And I've got some people in the tribe that are on certain um like anxiety and, and psychology psych psychological drugs and stuff like that. And I don't have a history with that. I don't have in-depth knowledge of it. But when I listen to them and read about their journey from, you know, weaning themselves off with the, the supervision necessary, and I just, my heart goes out. Uh, um, you know, blessed 
I feel for me not having to have done that, my sister takes a lot of those anxiety medications. Um, and I know she's been looking for ways to get away from them. Um, so I feel blessed that I don't take those. And I also feel empathetic and humbled by those that have who are now seeking their way away from those as well. And so if you're one of them out there, you know, I just send my love because there's so many different versions of addiction that I would be ignorant and just, I would just, I'd be a dick if I sat here and said, this is the, the way I see it is the way that it is. And if you have a different way of experiencing it, then fuck you. It's, <laughs> I can't, that's ridiculous. So if there's people like that in your life who think it's, you know, that they know everything that they need to know about what you're going through, I would just, I don't know, maybe turn them on to this episode. I, I don't know, because now that we're going we're gonna to leave this, we're going to parking lot that conversation for another day, and we're going to move to the primary discussion about this episode is going to be, I know, 13 minutes in, Jesse finally got to the point, is that we're going to discuss communication today. And maybe that's what that whole 13-minute diatribe was about, was about communicating my desire to let y'all know that I am continuously expanding my knowledge around addiction and embracing everybody's journey as what it is for them. And there are going to be a tremendous amount of people in your life who are not on this journey with you, not because they can't be you, but also because they're not addicted. They don't have alcoholism. They don't have drug addiction. And they will be living their life while you're over here listening to shows like this and reading amazing books and going to meetings and visiting a therapist and doing a tremendous amount of work to unearth your internal um, sufferings and traumas and to lay them out on the table, heal them up and be able to move on with your life. And not everyone's going to be doing that. And so when we talk about communication, one of the things that I have noticed the most in myself is that I can often not necessarily know how to communicate what it is that I'm feeling or desiring or wanting in that moment. And I can link it back to this fear of rejection, of saying, I want blank, and having somebody else say, nope, that's not going to work for me. And I work on that daily to realize that just because I want something doesn't mean that somebody else also wants that same thing. They might want something similar. They might have different ways about creating that in their life, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to play out exactly the way that I want it to play out. And that's that expectation-based thinking, right? Where we, we create this image in our head of what a perfect relationship or what a perfect job you know, environment would be or what, what, how our friends should be treating us and acting toward us you know, because of what we're going through or just in general, like, well, this is the way I want it. I want to be able to go to the amusement park and ride all the rides and I want everybody to move out of the way so I don't have to stand in line. And that's fucking stupid because <laughs> everybody is the center of their own world. Right? As much as we want to be doing things for other people, we desire to create those connections around us so that we can, you know, because we're humans and we want connection. It doesn't mean that people are going to just always be pushing their needs aside in order to placate yours. All right? Everybody does 
nobody's doing anything against you. They're doing it for themselves, right? There's something internally, a, a human need being met internally that if you say, hey, I'd really like it if we could sit down and have dinner every night at five o'clock and hold hands, if they say yes, they, there's a value to that for them as well. If there's not a value for them as well, then the likelihood that they'll continue along that path, of the, along that activity, it lessens each and each time that they do it, right? It's like if you keep eating broccoli and it tastes like shit, at some point you're just going to be like, you know what, screw this. There's got to be some other vegetable, perhaps potatoes, mm, perhaps fried, mm, perhaps with a lot of salt. Like you can only stuff crappy-ass steamed broccoli down your mouth for so long before at some point you're just like, you know what, not today. So we want to be creating connections with people in our lives that allow them to get value just as much as we will get value. And and it's going to be within this conscious communication that we're able to elicit these kind of relationships in our lives. All right, this conscious communication I talk about a lot, get a lot of speeches about it. I'm, you know, I, I wrote about it in my College Success Habits book. And when you think about conscious communication, know that it's it's referring to a type of communication where there's mindfulness, there's intentionality, Right? You're seeking to foster a mutual understanding and respect with the person that you're communicating with. I'm very conscious of the way I talk to you all. Right? You, you notice I'm using particular language patterns, and I like to be, I, I want you to realize how open minded I step into these episodes with because it's how I seek to lead my life. And I want to be very conscious of how I communicate this information to you all because a lot of you have been on this journey with me for years. And you might even be catching up and be like, I'm only one year into my recovery. I'm only three months, but I just barreled through all your episodes and I can't believe what I'm experiencing. I want to foster this mutual understanding and and I want you to understand, (laughs) I'm really stumbling on my words right now, that I respect all of us, right? I cannot judge anybody anymore. You don't wake up in a bathtub of death and then look yourself in the mirror and say, cool, I'm totally going to judge people (laughs) because... I I left the ability to judge others in that bathtub that day. So conscious communication involves this awareness and this responsibility for your words that you choose and the impact that they are going to have, right? Now, understanding that you can't control the impact that they have. You cannot control how somebody embraces what you've said to them, but you absolutely can choose words that will influence them to, to better feel or understand your point and what you're trying to say. Right, we've talked about this before about what manipulation is and what influence is, and it's extremely important as we get into this that we are able to be just reminded that manipulation is about controlling and uh, someone or a situation so you can get your outcome, even if it's deceptive, even if it's unethical, even if it actually takes advantage of them. The you know Stickler family, Purdue Pharma, right? It's like. That's very manipulative. They manipulated their language. They manipulated their advertising. They manipulated the salespeople. They manipulated the world. They manipulated. It was deceptive. It was unethical, but it made them billions, right? You're taking advantage of somebody else's weaknesses and vulnerabilities, right? Where they they have shoulder pain, they hurt their back, and next thing you know, they're they're hooked on your freaking opioids, right? Negative consequences, not just for the manipulator, 
but also for the manipulated. I'll, I mean, at some point, Purdue did go down for this. They did have to pay billions in restitution. I haven't done any more research about what's happened to them legally, but I have to assume that something went down. Uh, I'm waiting to Google that until I'm done with the show because I, I really did detach from that whole thing when it was happening because I was so in the depths of my addiction from 97 to 05. I just remember when people talked about that, I just knew that if you got hooked on it, there was a very good chance that it would lead to heroin. And I was deathly afraid of heroin, mainly because of basketball diaries. And so I just said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. When I would get injured and go to the hospital, I said, no, I do not want painkillers. I would rather have pain than be prescribed that. And I remember pushing that away multiple times when I found myself, you know, in front of a doctor who could prescribe that. So when we go back to this manipulation, right, there was negative consequences for the manipulator, but not as nearly as bad as for the manipulated. Whereas influence, on the other hand, refers to the power or the ability to affect the behaviors or the decision making of others in a positive way. We're looking for the positive aspect of it, Right. Manipulation is like I have negative intentions here. Right? You you come home, you give your your partner a gift, and they think, oh my gosh, they love me so much, and really it's because you know you slept with their sister, it's uh, or brother, whatever gender we're referencing here. And but you know that's manipulation. I give you gift because I did something bad, and I don't want to have to tell you about it, or I'm getting ready to tell you about it. Whereas influence might be walking in and giving them a kiss on the cheek and saying I love you, and then they turn around and they give you more kisses. You've influenced them to show you love in that moment. That wasn't manipulation because in the end, it was for a positive intent. So when we're looking for this conscious communication here, we're looking to um, connect in a way that creates this positive influencing of others, of, of, of one another. And so the focus is on actively listening to the other person in this conscious communication, expressing yourself clearly and respectfully, and, and seeking to understand the other person's point of view. Your map is not the territory. What you see as the world is not the world. It is just your map. Think about Lewis and Clark when the Louisiana Purchase happened and Thomas Jefferson was like, you guys leave from St. Louis and go out there and figure out what the hell I just bought. Right? They had the territory. They knew what the French were giving, the, giving us, but they didn't have a map of it. They had not done it and seen it with their own eyes. And as they went up rivers and all that jazz that they did, they created a map, but it was not the entire territory. Somebody 100 miles over would have a completely different map at the time. So that's my little analogy for you to realize that what you see as reality is not everybody else's reality. So when you're consciously communicating, you want to be able to step into their shoes, experience their point of view, not to take on their emotions, not to take on the weight of their pain, but to just understand that your perception of the world around you is not the same as anyone else's. It, even if you have similar views about something, if you chunk it down low enough, you're going to find a disagreement. You're going to find a disparity in there. And all of a sudden, it's going to be like, well, I thought we both agreed that plants were awesome and amazing. But you, it ter turns out, you like aloe plants and I like basil. Arr, let's start a war, right? We both like plants. Can we just leave it at that? So when you're aware of these nonverbal cues, right, the body language, the tonalities, um, you know, the, the, the way somebody presents themselves to you, you can be more conscious in your communication, right? You want to practice this because it's going to create positive, productive interactions with others. It will help reduce conflict, incre increase empathy. 
problem solving skills. So as we get into the meat of this, and I know you're thinking 23 minutes in, bro, and this isn't even the meat. Oh, hails to the no, right? We are building up to something amazing at episode 200. And so we're bringing some... So (laughs) who's excited? I am. Who's excited? I am. So when we're seeking to create conscious communication with someone, right, we want to influence them in a positive manner. We don't want to manipulate them in a way that takes advantage of, of, of what's going on, right? This is like, it's like that word gullible. I remember somebody, when I, I remember when I was a kid, people would be like, oh, they would break out a fact. Oh, you know, uh, World War II actually ended in 1952, and it was ended because they dropped a bunch of puppies over Berlin. I'm like, no way, really? Like, ha, you're so gullible. I'm like, no, you're a dickhead liar. (laughs) It's not, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't just walk into normal conversations and expect to be lied to. It's not gullibility, right? It's like, if somebody's like, hey, you know, it's actually 2024, not 2023. You've been asleep in a coma for the last year. No, really? Okay, maybe there's a usefulness for the word gullibility right there. But otherwise, you're just lying to somebody. And if they trust you, that's eh, more on you than it is on them. So as we grow our communication with people, we realize that we want to step into it with as much truthfulness as we are capable of in that time. We don't want to blatantly lie to people. We also don't want to be rude in our truths, right? Say what you mean, mean what you say, just don't say it mean. And I keep using the word and in here because it's like I'm, I feel like I'm, we're getting somewhere and I still yet haven't gotten the shiver. So I know I haven't quite hit it home yet. So let's let's review real quick. We've discussed manipulation. We've discussed influence. We've discussed conscious communication and how we're going to be able to utilize these in our lives. Now, why is this going to be so important moving forward in your journey of life, let alone addiction recovery? Because we are humans and connection matters. The opposite of addiction is connection. So when we seek to make these connections with other people, we want to step into this realness, this truthiness about ourselves. And as we're doing that and we're, and we're figuring out ways to communicate others, we're going to feel a sense of fear or a rejection um, if what we're saying isn't embraced by the other person. And as the more and more that happens, the more and more we have to decide within our own minds, and I know we all have those minds that sort of spiral on things, like mine does. I talk about this a lot, right? It's like that corkscrewing down that screw into your brain, like, no, negative, 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 right? So we want to step out of all the negative thought processes, and we want to step into positive thought processes. And I am not saying that this is easy, because I battle with it daily. Um, You know, I can get very fixated that on a certain um, idea, a certain something that I thought, and all your thoughts are not real. You're having 50,000 thoughts a day. Studies have been done. The number can be changed. It could be 25,000. It could be 100,000. It doesn't matter. It's thousands upon thousands, and most of them aren't true. The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer talks about how we have this roommate in our head that just non-top chatters, right? That's the thoughts. That's the voices. That's all of that. Not all of those thoughts are true. 99% of them aren't true. So when we go to step into conscious communication, it's really going to be what that person expresses to us being louder or being able to filter itself through our own thought processes and the feelings those create so we can actually hear the truth from what this person is expressing to us in the time and being able to, in a way, not necessarily read between the lines, but be able to hear what's not being said and to ask further questions to create a union between you two in a way that you've never felt before. 
And I'm going to start talking about resistance and resentment and rejection and repression here in a moment, because these are some of the things that I go through with my girlfriend that don't allow us to connect and don't allow us to actually listen to one another. And I can only control me. I cannot control her. So it's very important to me that I'm actually asking questions and and having some of these tough conversations and then detaching myself from the desired outcome, my expectations of an outcome. And we talked a lot about acceptance in the past, and we've talked a lot about detachment. And this idea of acceptance is just like, well, this is where I am at, and this is what I'm going through right now. Acceptance can be challenging. (laughs) It can definitely be challenging for me, especially when we're faced with difficult and painful situations. But it is critical. It is a critical component to our personal growth, to our mindfulness. Right? Acceptance is acknowledging and accepting our reality, our situation, who I am today, right? The emotions that are being evoked by who I was in the past. It's I I just I accept twenty two years of addiction. That's just I, I can't not. I can't just battle back against that all the time. Right? I can accept that, okay, this is where I am right now. This is where my career is, or this is this is where my personal growth is. Accept it and say, okay, I'm just I will release anger and frustration and anxiety and say, okay, this is where I am now. Do I want to be on the side of the road with a flat tire? No. Do I want somebody to have dropped their cell phone and and pulled over into my lane and caused me to have to drive my car into a ditch and perhaps have threatened my life? No. (laughs) Nobody wants that, right? But it's like, okay, well, this is, I accept this is where I currently am on the side of the road, but this is not where I will stay, right? I can release any kind of anger Right? I can release the frustration. I can release the anxiety that would come from this and say, okay, this is personal responsibility, y'all. Okay, this is what happened. We can't go back even 10 seconds ago. We can't, I can go back one second and change anything I've said. It is just what I've said. But now I can accept personal responsibility. I'm not, I don't have to blame or complain or make excuses for myself. I can say, well, this is where I'm at. What can I do now to begin to alleviate this situation? Right. This is where we talk a lot about forgiveness. It's not for the other person, it's for us. Right? Because you're drinking poison hoping that they get sick. So when we talk about acceptance of where we're at, it's just simply being able to let go of resistance and judgment and a need for things to be different in that moment. Doesn't mean that we can't be discontent about where we are, ambitiously discontent about who I want to become, but I can be content in the moment. And I think there's a lot of talk about happiness when we go to meetings and we talk to people constantly seeking happy, seeking happy, seeking happy. The world's 50-50. We're not going to just be ride or die on this happiness train. It's exhausting. I don't, I don't want to do it. I have no joy in finding happiness in every single moment because sitting on a phone for four hours with my insurance company or hearing that one of my tribe members almost got hit head on, I'm not going to find happiness in that. Him not getting hit head on and and, and protecting himself and me getting my health insurance back or you know, again the dichotomy of those two examples next to one another may seem very whack but I'm just what my brain is thinking right now right I, I I found joy in the fact that oh thank goodness he's safe oh thank goodness I have health insurance so if I find myself in that position I know that I am protected it is accepting and uh, and re- releasing of the resistance and the judgment and for things to have to be better so good we've now we've covered acceptance I told you that we we're be talking about a lot of shit in this episode. So now, where might be some things that we don't want to accept, right? We get attached to the outcome, right? And we can't detach, right? When we have attachment, there can be issues with acceptance, 
right? Because we have, no, we are attached to this. Uh, this is what was supposed to happen, and it didn't happen, and now I am furious with anger. Okay, so we talked about detachment last night in Dharma. And the detachment is this act of letting go, right, to specific outcomes, expectations. And instead, we focus on the present moment and the process that we can do in the moment to move ourselves from our current state to our desired state. When I think of Betsy and Dope Sick, right, it's so sad whenever she goes to the flop house and ends up overdosing on heroin, but she had a plan. She was in a current state of constantly feeling the cravings and constantly having the addiction, and it was eating her alive. And then she said, you know what? I'm going to go, and I'm going to get on Suboxone with, with the doctor, and things will start to work out. Unfortunately, she made a, an incorrect decision to go use one last time because her ex-girlfriend did not give her the, did not reciprocate her feelings when she made the phone call, emotionally triggered, found herself back at where she'd always been, and ultimately paid the, the greatest price with her life. And this is just dope sick. It's good seriously, it has infiltrated my brain, right? So there's the detachment. Betsy wanted to make this phone call to her ex-girlfriend who was living in Eureka Springs, wanted her to get back together once she got healthy. Turns out her girlfriend had already found another partner and was happy with the life she had created for herself. This made Betsy very upset. She goes back and she uses, and then she ultimately dies. She was attached to an outcome. It didn't happen the way that she desired it. And she wasn't in an emotional state. She wasn't through enough of her healing to say, no, I'm not going back to what I already know. I instead will go home. I'll, t- I'll go to sleep. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll go to the clinic and get on Suboxone. That's not how her character played out in the show. And it was actually quite emotional. I mean, the moment that she ended up there, I was like, they're, they're going to kill this character off. And this is going to break my heart. And i because of the historical accuracy of this show, I have to assume that that was a real person. So even more sad to realize that this isn't just a character they're portraying, but this is, you know, a lot of people's lives when it came to that epidemic. And so, seriously, I get emotional talking about that show. So what are we going to do in our lives to detach? Right, we're not looking for this blase. We're not looking to detach in such a way that we just don't care. We're looking to detach in a way that we can let go in the moment to what our expectations were. We, we can start to think about what is it can we create from where we're at. This is personal responsibility. Somebody wrecked my car. You know, somebody caused me to wreck my car. And so that's what happened. Thank goodness I'm all in one piece. I'm not in an ambulance right now. Okay, well, I can call AAA. I can get a tow truck out here. I can exchange insurance information. And that's it. That's now the process has started. Somebody rear-ended my car over a Christmas holiday and caused a huge dent in it. It cost me fifteen hundred dollars to get done. I did have a bit of a meltdown for a couple of hours. In fact, that whole day was a bit ruined, and I would love to have been able to just pop myself out of it. But fifteen hundred dollars right now—not something I wanted to slap on a credit card. You know, blessed am I that I have a credit card I could put it on. Doesn't make me any happier that I had to do that. But I wasn't going to allow my car to be wrecked and get rusted and, and chipped. It's just I made a commitment when I bought Sobriafe, and I'm not going to step back on that commitment. I just not. Right. So I, I I had to detach myself from what happened and say, well, what can I do now to figure this out? They didn't stop and leave their insurance information. I had to pay for it out of my own pocket. It is what it is. Life hands you some fucking lemons once in a while. So I did my best to turn it into lemonade. I got it I got it dealt with. I put it on my credit card. I found another credit card to do a balance transfer to, so I have 0% interest on it for nine months. I'm just going to slowly make payments on it until it's taken care of. That was my solution, and I was once I figured it out that day, I was like, okay, well, then this is just where we're at. I'm going to release judgment and disappointment on myself for 
for not having this solution immediately and be happy and proud of myself for having this solution at some point. I, I accepted that this is where I was and this is what I can do. I was in a present state. I figured out a way to get to my desired state. I couldn't go back in a time machine and fix that car, couldn't stop the person from hitting me, but I certainly could do something in the moment to get me to a resolution of the issue, right? It allowed me to have clarity. It allowed me to have focus. I could be unburdened by emotional stress. Once I figured out the credit card thing, I was like, oh, cool. I'll just transfer it over to this credit card. And now, at least for the time being, that's something that I'm not paying interest on. Still got to pay 1500 bucks, but it is what it is. I mean, I can't, again, be so pissed off that I just sit here with rage and anger towards this, you know, I have no face. I have no name. I have no idea who I'm supposed to be mad at. So I'm just supposed to be mad at the world, right? So by practicing detachment, I gain greater sense of control over just my own thoughts and emotions, just my own thoughts and emotions, right? This, This reduced the stress in my life. It is what it is. And I used to hate that saying, but at some point you just got to throw your hands up and be like, hip hop, hooray, ho, it is what it is, yo, it is just what it is. Like, this is where we find ourselves, right? What are we going to do moving forward? So now we've discussed acceptance, right? Accepting of who you are in this very moment, knowing that you aren't what you've done, right? You are what you decide to do today. And if there are people trying to hold you back because of who they remember you being, you get to decide how much you're going to put the effort into showing them the new you. And then they get to decide how much they're going to believe in the new you. And some people may want to hold on to the fact that you stole money out of their purse or that you wrecked their car or that you cheated on their, cheated on, uh, you know, cheated, you slept with their girlfriend. I did some stupid shit back at Ball State University, right? I definitely cheated on one of my, cheated on, I slept with one of my brother's girlfriends and it's still something like if I ever see this dude again, I definitely have some amends to be made. But now what I do is instead of just being racked with guilt over a decision that 18 year old Jesse made, and now I'm sitting here at 46, I say, well, what's the lesson to take from that, right? Don't abuse somebody's trust. Don't step in the middle of somebody else's relationship and bring harm to them, you know, to both people, um, you know, be, uh, have integrity and do what is right, even when no one is watching, right? Amongst the many other lessons I took from that, those will be the three that I'll just randomly rattle off as we're moving through this topic, right? So I can take that lesson that now Jesse would not do that because he's got integrity. He cares about other people's feelings, right? I certainly have done that even, you know, as I moved through my various states of addiction and my sobriety and recovery, I've certainly gone against some versions of me, the integrity that I desired to have. And it ate me up. And then I say, okay, well, what can I do now? All right, I did that then. What would I do differently now? What's the lesson to be taken from it? And I want you to be able to detach more readily from some of the behaviors you've done because you have this ability to stop and say, okay, that's what I did then. What's the lesson to be taken? Now let's begin to behave that way moving forward, right? You scream at your kids, right? Then two hours later, you feel bad about screaming at your kids. Okay, what's the lesson that could be taken? When you engage your children and you're emotionally triggered, you might behave in a way that is adverse to actual conscious communication. It might leave you in a state of despair over the way that you behaved. And ultimately, it's going to lead you to have to go back and apologize. And now there's going to be a certain level of trust that you have to mend between you and your children because you screamed at them. Or you can step away, 
breathe for 10 seconds, count down for 10 seconds, go for a walk around the block, do something to pattern interrupt yourself out of that emotionally triggered state where you're reacting, figure out what works best for you in order to get yourself grounded and back into an emotionally responsive nature. And now you can actually have conscious communication with your children about what is upsetting you. Right? And whenever you can create a connection between what you desire for them to do and how you want them to behave so that you, whatever, right? You're trying to teach them the lesson of being polite and, and, and being a part of a household and realizing they're not the center of the world and they keep dropping their book bag in the hallway. You can then show them a connection. This is why I'm seeking to teach you this. And, you know, what is it I can do for you? What value can I bring to you in your life so that you understand that this is something that you actually want to be doing as well? When you can create a value in their life, realizing that they're just as much the center of their own world as you're the center of your own. And they're not doing that against you. They're doing it for themselves. They just want to go play video games or they just really want an after-school snack. And shedding that backpack because that backpack represents school, that might be, you know, a physiological and a psychological response to walking through the front door, right? Perhaps it's putting a hook next to the front door and now there's somewhere to hang it rather than expecting them to go all the way back to their bedroom. I don't know. You have to figure that out on your own. But it's through conscious communication communication that you will begin to have that conversation with them that leads you both to the desired outcome. They don't want you screaming at them and you want the backpack on a hook, right? So detach from what has been happening, accept that this is the behavior that they have grown accustomed to, and then begin to conversate with them in a way that will allow them to meet your needs. And then you can also be meeting theirs. Because they want a loving, kind parent, and you want a, an obedient and thoughtful child who does their best not to disrupt the house just for no random reason, right? We all come from a different generation, but I can assure you back in the day, I just needed to be looked sideways by my stepdad to realize backpack goes in room. Now we're living with, you know, we get the internet and get these kids and, you know, they're all like, I got rights and I, I don't have to listen to you. I'm like, you're seven years old. Yeah. yeah, you do got to listen to your parents. But again, not a, not a parent. Take that information and do with it as you will. Understanding that now we're, now we're really starting to create a link between acceptance and detachment, right? Manipulation, influence, right? Manipulating the kids to do what you want just for the sake of having power over them or influencing them to put the backpack on a hook because it'll keep you from tripping over it and it'll make sure that their backpack is always readily available when they need to get to it rather than it being some random place they decided to drop it today because they wanted to go get some Oreos, right? Now we're really starting to make some pretty amazing connections here. And so we're going to now build this amazing bridge over to the four R's because this has really been where I've been looking forward to getting to this entire time because this is some of the communication issues I've had within my own relationship here in my own home that I'm working on. And this is where we get into the resistance, resentment, rejection, and repression. And I first learned about these when it came to Melissa, my um, therapist that I had for five years at Kaiser Permanente. And when she first told me about these, is because in relationships, I can often feel like I need to mute myself, like my feelings don't matter. And this stems from having a mom who had Crohn's from eight years old on, um, where I 
got to the point where she was always feeling sick. Not always, not a, not a great word not for this particular conversation, but oftentimes she was not feeling great. And because she was not feeling great, um, I didn't want to bring my problems to her because I felt like she had enough pain and emotions that she was dealing with with Crohn's. And we'll talk more about Crohn's next week whenever we do the Valentine's Day episode for her. And I would come home from school. She wouldn't be feeling well. So I'm not going to tell her I was bullied. I'm not going to tell her I was punched. I'm not going to tell her that somebody took my food at the lunch table. I'm just going to come in and just act like none of that stuff happened. So because I muted my emotions then and I muted my voice then, it became something that I habituated. And over time, I just would not speak my truth. I would not tell somebody what I really wanted out of a fear of being rejected. Mom didn't necessarily ever reject what I had to say when it came to discussing my emotions as a child, but there was this desire not to cause her any more pain. And even if she did sort of say, hey, can we talk about that later? All of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I was rejected. You know, because how does an eight-year-old deal with their emotions, especially when they're being raised? by an emotionally unintelligent mother and father. It's just we don't have the resources because we were not raised with them because generations of humans have been raised emotionally unintelligently where they just don't know how to manage and be aware of their own emotions. It's what we should be teaching in school, um, I don't know, instead of calculus in the fifth grade, but it is what it is, right? So when we think about resistance and resentment and rejection and repression now as adults, we're just reliving these patterns and these habits that we have from our childhood. And then they became bigger and more ingrained. And then we got into addiction. And I don't know what yours was like, but mine, I was like the apocalypse. I came in and just, I mean, I wasn't an angry drunk. I I mean, I don't think I was ever once punched, wasted. Um, I'd never got into fights. It wasn't something I was just, everybody loved being around drunk Jesse because I was a fun, lovable guy. I was a fun, lovable guy because if somebody stepped on my shoes or pissed me off or disrespected me, I was just like, whatever, I'm not going to end up in jail tonight over this five second moment. I moved on from it, but not everybody did, you know, and then you get into alcohol and drugs and now your behavior is so just ludicrous that then speaking your voice and telling people what you want and what you desire, it almost seems like an abomination at the moment. Cause you're like, I mean, the way I'm behaving, why would this person even want to be around me? So there's certainly no way I can speak my voice right now. I'm lucky that this person even wants to be near me. So then we mute our voices even more and even more and even more. And then what ends up happening is we find ourselves in sobriety, in recovery, and now all of these ingrained behaviors about not speaking our voice, not speaking our truth, being afraid of what they're going to say back to us, that gets triggered. That comes back and it it ends up haunting us. And what ultimately has done for me is it's left me creating whole conversations in my head about what I think she would respond with if I brought a particular subject up. Here's the issue with that. If I'm in my head creating a conversation around something I really want to talk about, and it's me on both sides of it, one of it is me talking to a version of her I've created in my head, mind reading how I think that she's going to respond based on the way I've perceived her responding in the past about things. Think about all of the mental gymnastics it takes to do that. Because I brought something up one day and she was like, I don't want to talk about this right now. Then that becomes this whole blown up thought process that's not even real. 
Like we don't know what was going on in that person's life that one day, that one time we wanted to talk about something so bad that we didn't even bother to ask them if it was an appropriate time. They just found out that their their boss is going to throw you know a whole week's worth of work in their inbox at noon on a Friday and now we're wondering why they don't want to talk to us about our emotional intelligence at 1201. Right? They have our own thing going on. But we didn't ask any questions then. We didn't dive into what was going on in their lives at the moment, right? We just took them simply saying, I don't have time to talk about this right now. It's a massive rejection. It triggers up all these old feelings that we have accumulated throughout our lives. And now we're just putting all of that right at their feet. Like, well, that's it. You're just like everybody else. I can't believe you would say that to me. And then again, all this shit's happening in, our, in my head, right? None of it's real. It's real to my brain because I'm imagining it, but it doesn't make it real in the real world. The only thing that makes something real in the real world is actually doing it in the real world. You can imagine shooting a free throw all you want, but it is not the same as shooting a free throw. I can imagine jumping rope all day long, but going out there and jumping it versus just thinking about jumping it is completely different. I think we understand this. It seems pretty logical, but yet at the same time, we find ourselves creating conversations in our head manipulating the words the other person says to us in our head, right? We're just imagining the whole thing. And then getting pissed off at them about something that they said in our head using the words we are putting in their mouth. And then we wonder why communication is so difficult for humans. And I know I'm not alone in this. I mean, look, if you're one of those people who's never done this, I exalt you. Come find me on the socials. I will bring you on the show. Because if you're a person who never once in your entire life has created an entire conversation in your head, played out an entire conversation, and then walked away from it being like, well, okay, cool, figure that out, or walked away being super pissed at the person (laughs) because of something you completely imagined, then you are a unicorn. (laughs) You are the leprechaun at the end of the rainbow. You are sitting on a swimming pool full of gold bars. I must meet you. Otherwise, back here in the world I've created for myself, I realized that I will create conversations in my head trying to figure out how it might go. Almost has like this trying to pre-plan a path for a conversation I really want to have. And it's, it's illogical. And this is getting us back to the resistance, resentment, rejection, and repression conversation. Because when we're having these conversations in our head and we're not inviting the other person into it, there is going to be problems. There's absolutely going to be problems. I know I've experienced problems. And I think when I go through all of these and we wrap this up in a nice little bow and package for you later, you're going to be able to start understanding how these have been affecting you. Let's get into them. Resistance. Where this can show up for me is that when I have a conversation with my partner and something is said to me, about me, toward me, that I find some internal um, push against. I'm finding it to be overly critical. Uh, It comes out as annoying. I get frustrated. I get confused. And all these various emotions. And it it can be behaviors as well. I make fun of the spoon in the sink. It could be a light left on. It can be one of these little things that... Other times, people may have framed as don't sweat the small stuff. But here's the issue with that, is that while people have said don't sweat the small stuff, that it's all small stuff, that to me is more about detaching and just accepting the person for who they are and their behaviors. But if it starts to really grind my gears and get beneath my skin, then there's a part of me that wants to have a conversation about it. And when I resist 
the conversation. Instead, I just push it down. I try not to acknowledge it. Just let it slide off my back. It's not necessarily that, like the relationship's going to end just specifically because of a bunch of, of resistances. But it is not an effective way to cope with your internal emotions. There has to be a point where you can express the way you feel, where I can express the way that I feel and say, hey, the spoon in the sink, the backpack on the floor, these are things that cause me to feel like the house is discombobulated. Let's sit down. Let's have a conversation so we can meet in the middle. When you have these resistances, when you feel like saying something, but you don't, and instead you mute your voice and you push it down, this is what we label as a resistance, right? You're, you are resisting your desire to speak your truth for whatever that might be. Fear of reprisal, uh, fear of rejection. It's going to be steeped in some level of fear about the way that it will be taken. When we move to resentments, and this is the way that me and my therapist used to discuss it, is that when you start to stack up a lot of these resistances, right? And we'll, we'll throw out an arbitrary number. Let's say it's 10 resistances, 10 different times during the day, something happens, you bite your tongue, you don't express yourself. Then you get to a certain point where now it starts to fuel resentment. These are those unmanaged feelings of all of these different resistances, right? That start to pile up inside of you. And then they can be externalized towards your partner through hostility, anger. Perhaps you start to criticize them. Um, Melissa used to discuss it with me in this way, that you start to pile up enough resistances. And after a while, you start to resent your partner and the things that you used to laugh about, the things that they used to say that would make you laugh, the things that you used to find adorable, all of a sudden you start resenting them for. You start actually having negative feelings about. Perhaps, you, you know, for me, it could have been you know, the way that my girlfriend gets super excited about things and talks a mile a minute when she's super excited. But if I've got enough resistances that turn into resentment, all of a sudden that excitement just feels like she's just annoying. She just talks a lot. She never stops and asks me questions. Like I begin to reframe it so that something that was once very acceptable and in fact quite attractive could actually start to become a negative. You may have experienced this in your life where perhaps you meet someone who's super headstrong and then you build up enough resistances, and now all of a sudden their headstrongness seems like they're stubborn and they're unbuilding, unbending, and they're unflexible. Perhaps you know someone in your life who um, is a carefree spirit, right? Just go, goes with the flow. Right? Over time, enough resistances, could that turn that into resentment? And now instead of them being going with the flow and super chill and relaxed, now they're airheady and they're not focused and they seem to just have no reason or rhyme for why they're doing things. When the resentment kicks in and then you start becoming overly critical and you start to have these little passive aggressive ways that you say things to people, it's going to be noticed by them. And at some point they're going to begin to push back and more than likely in your behavior toward them about these resistances that turned into resentment for you, they will then in turn have their own resistances that they then have their own resentments about, and then your negative way of interacting with them will actually cause there to be more resentment. And so then they're going to start behaving in their particular way. Perhaps it's aggressive or passive aggressive or just straight up passive, right? And now that's going to cause more resentments, right? And so let's just throw out an arbitrary number again. So now you've got 10 resistances that add up to one resentment. Now you start adding up resentments you get it to 10 resentments, now there's rejection. 
The rejection is whenever you have passed your point of no return. That's when you lash out and you go at the person, right? That's when you might start dropping fuck you bombs, motherfuckers. You might start screaming at them. You're yelling at them. You, you have passed the point of no return. You are now emotionally triggered and you are in a state of actively arguing with them, right? And if this can show up in a lot of different ways whenever it comes to the way you are going to interact with them. Now, conversely, this could also show up super passively where you just shut down. They just shut down. I mean, completely like ignore your even existence in the room, right? But it's going to be generally, not going to use a, you know, a universal quantifier here, but generally it is going to be on one end of those spectrums. It is a just supreme tongue lashing. You're yelling at each other. You're yelling across the room. You're, you know, in other instances, some people have been known to throw plates. Like there's that kind of interaction. You can also go the other side where it's just a complete blocking of one out. It's like, that's it. I, you know what? I'm I'm done, you know, and it's just whew, you can you've seen somebody whenever like the life just gets drained out of them, and they're like that I I don't I don't have any more energy for all of this, and that's also a form of rejection when the, when somebody just shuts down and doesn't want to have an interaction, doesn't want to compute communicate, right? And this is what you're going to notice when you really start running things through this resistance, resentment, rejection. It's like it's like a f- different filters when the anger and the resentment and you know, the complaining, the criticism. The, these, that's when the verbal abuse. That's when the threats to the end of the relationship, refusal to engage in various activities or interactions with somebody else, just stonewalling them, gaslighting them. It's like it's these levels of interaction that are going to stymie any kind of communication. And you can get again that passive rejection. Right, where it's just indirectly ignoring, not acting like you're there, um, losing interest in doing activities that you used to enjoy doing with one another, um, spending more time at work or with other friends. You know, basically look inside your own mind. Do you start fantasizing about being around other people? Do you start having really crazy, uh, angry visualizations in your head um, about doing? something harm to them. I mean, look back at your addiction. You will notice when you were in the prime of your addiction, when these resistances and resentments and rejections started adding up, there was probably a lot of violence inside of you. It was maybe it just been inside of your head, but it was there, right? And the brain doesn't necessarily know the difference between something vividly imagined and actually in, that played out in front of it. Because everything that plays out in front of you, in your eyes, in your five senses, gets fed into the brain. It just becomes one of these little pictures or movies in your head. So after a while, if you start imagining bad things happening to somebody, right, everything seen externally becomes an imagination in the head, becomes something relived. When you start imagining and reliving these things in your head over and over and over again, the brain just takes them as real. It's just the way that the brain perceives reality. And now we're in our sober state. We're moving through our addiction recovery, and we don't want to have these angry thoughts anymore. We don't want to get to these rejections, right? Challenging the partner, perhaps cheating on them, uh, just talking badly about them to your coworkers, to your guy friends, just trashing on them all the time. This is that kind of rejection. Not all rejection will happen directly in front of the person's face. Just as much and probably just as pervasive and toxic can happen behind their back because it's when you say this stuff to people that all of a sudden they're going to, they're going to bandwagon with you. All right. And guys and girls, we've all done this, 
right? We've all know that, you know, we've gotten together with the ladies and there's been the bitch fest just trashing on our men. There's been the men get together and have that locker room talk and trashing on the women, right? It, you're finding yourself in an echo chamber when you do that. Very rarely is anybody going to try to throw out an alternative opinion or belief about the situation, right? Because they don't want to get kicked out of the herd. It's, hey, we're trashing on our husband's time. So let's just all trash on our husbands. But that's a form of rejection. Hey, it's time to trash on the wives. Let's all talk shit about the way that they don't do this, that, or the other. It is a form of rejection. When you become emotionally distanced, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, when you start to have this separation, that's when the rejection takes hold. And when you and when you have these rejections and you start to pile those up, enough yelling and screaming, that's when you get to repression. And whenever you start having the resistances to resentments to rejections, it's called repression. It's a defense mechanism couples will engage in where they'll they don't want to be around the uncomfortable, unpleasant feelings, so they will just not do any of the feelings. It is going to end badly. Relationships end by the time they get past the rejection phase to the repression phase. I, I have had many a relationship in my day. I know very vividly what it is like to finally have a female partner of mine just look at me and go, you know what? I just can't with you anymore. I just can't. And for men, it can be difficult because we're not prone to give our hearts easily. So when we do give our hearts and then the relationship ends, it can it can hurt. It cannot be something that we are very comfortable with because it's like it took us so long to give the heart and now it's being thrown back in our faces. And this is where I used to really get upset. My addiction would really take over when I finally gave my heart to a woman, and then kind of thrown back in my face. Now, mind you, I was responsible for all of this. I take personal responsibility for them all. I was drinking. I was doing drugs. I was out of control. I still wasn't being very nice. I was a bit of, I wasn't a horrible person to my female partners in my 20s, but I can assure you, I was not as I was not the cat's meow. I was not the gift that they had been praying for. So by the time they got to the point where they were just done, it was it. This is when you look at somebody in the eyes and they're just like, no, there's no coming back from this. And so when we start to put all of these pieces together, and because we're moving into sobriety and we're into our addiction recovery, we really want to be noticing where we aren't speaking our truth. Speak your truth. Find the time to do that. Now, I want to do a little quick sidebar on the finding the time to do that thing. I have not always been very good at this. Sometimes I just randomly start to spout up a conversation because something happens. I get triggered. I'm in sort of that resentment rejection phase. So I'm just going to jump into the conversation. This doesn't always come out well. It's not always greeted with open arms because other people, specifically girlfriend, has other things going on. It may not necessarily be the best time to have that conversation, but I can sometimes mute myself so much that when I finally see an opening, I go for it. And that can happen often during an argument. A lot of these conversations we want to have about physical intimacy or about emotional intelligence or about sharing our heart or about, you know, sharing um, interest in, in being more mentally acute, mental acuity, right? Like sharing more intellectual kind of conversations or spirituality ones based on values and beliefs and opinions. These are really deep conversations and they should be happening at an emotionally grounded state. 
So when I see an opening to finally talk about something that I've been wanting to talk about, but I've been muting myself so much because I'm afraid of the, of the rejection that might come if she doesn't want to have the conversation the way I want to have it. So when an argument starts and I finally see an opening for it and that's when I bring it up, that is not going to go well for me. It has not gone well and I know it's not going to go well and I've done it repeatedly. So why I'm explaining this to you is that, yes, there will be times where it's much healthier to say, hey, do we have an opportunity tonight over dinner to have a conversation about blank? Or, hey, I really would love to have a conversation with you later on today. Do you have some time? Not a big fan of the, hey, when you get home, we need to talk thing because I've had that done to me and then I'm distressed the whole time about what we need to talk about. And I make up stories in my head and by the time I get there, it's not even about what I thought it was going to be about and I've been stressed the whole time. So men and women out there listening, try not to do the whole, we need to talk when you get home kind of thing. But do say, hey, I'd like to have a pretty serious conversation if it wouldn't bother you too much. Do you get a little bit of free time later? Yeah? Awesome. Let's do that. Now, if you're afraid already about having the conversation and you're just going to blurt it out, then at your very best, don't blurt it out in the middle of an argument. This is where this is where couples will often find themselves sidebarring off to other things, pissing them off when there was one specific thing that got brought up at the beginning, right? If you're going to have these resistances and these resentments turn into rejection, try to at least stay focused on the spoon or the backpack or the fridge being left open. Sidebarring off to all these other things that are pissing you off just all of a sudden throws 20 things onto the table and now no one's going to get any of them resolved. Stop yourself. Say, okay, clearly there's a lot of things that we need to work out. Let's take them in order. Let's go at this one. Okay, here's mine. Let's discuss it. Cool. Let's discuss yours. Let's discuss mine. Do it like tennis if you want. This could be its own episode on its own. And in fact, I really feel like this entire episode has just been me coming up with like multiple topics that should have been their own episodes. But for some reason, I just felt very compelled to combine all of this into 199 today because a lot of this stuff I've been noticing, not just in my relationship, but in my friends' relationships and in familial relationships and at work. A lot of this stuff's happening, right? And so let's put all the things that we have discussed together so that there can be a bit of a, um, a nice little summary. And we can wrap it all up and it can be delicious and it can be yummy and tasty. So when we step into conscious communication, we are, we're doing a mindful, intentional, respectful conversations. We are actively listening to what the other person is saying, not to respond but to actually listen and take in what they're saying. We want to be conscious about our words. Say what you mean and mean what you say, but don't say it mean. You're going to have more positive and productive interactions when you are consciously communicating rather than sitting there on your phone or just randomly blurting things out and talking over one another. Accept the person. Accept yourself for where you are at. This doesn't mean that you have to just say, okay, well, this is just who I am and there is no changing this. No, we're not going to live in that fixed mindset, but you can accept the person and you can accept yourself, acknowledge the reality of the situation, the emotions that are being played out rather than trying to push them away or judge them, having resistance to what the person's saying. Just accept that this is their form of reality. You have yours, they have theirs, accept it. Right? And then this is where you're allowed to start to, to detach. Not detaching emotionally as in like you just 
completely blot out, right? You're just, you just say, it's like you build up this metaphorical wall in front of yourself and no matter what they say, it's not coming through. But detach from it in as much as that you're not holding on so much to their opinion of you, or you're not holding so much on to the expectations of how you thought the conversation was going to go, right? Being able to focus on the present moment, cultivating gratitude, not trying to have control, reframing your perspective. These are powerful ways to detach from your intended outcome, from the expectations you had. This is absolutely going to alleviate confusion and frustration and annoyance. It will. I promise you. I have been practicing this stuff for the last couple of weeks, and it is a massive changes. All right, so we got conscious communication into acceptance, into detachment. And then we start to really ask ourselves from there, is the way we're communicating meant to manipulate so we can get our desired outcome while taking advantage of the other person? Or are we seeking to influence where it's mutually beneficial for both parties, where we both walk away in that sort of pre-quo, no, I don't know if that's a pre-quo quo. Um, first of all, I'm not even sure that's the term, but is it a win-win for both parties? You want to be looking for ways that you can be influencing positive interactions with one another. Really stepping into that version of yourself that says, I want to really have an opportunity to deeply connect. I say this a lot. Do you want to be right or do you want to connect? If you're always trying to be right, having the last word, right, that's going to disconnect you. And when we start stepping into resistance, resentment, rejection, and repression, we can notice where that's starting to play a role. If you've always got to have the last word, if you've always got to be right, right, then the other person just doesn't feel like you're even hearing them, right? That's going to start to build up some some resistances and some resentments towards you. And before you know it, there's going to be a huge blow up. And then they're going to start calling you out for all these things that they perceive that you've done. They're going to be like, well, you always do this and you always do that. And I'm like, really? When was the last time I did that? Well, I don't know. It's not like I'm writing down these things on my phone. I just know they've happened. We, we've all had that kind of conversation. When we're having a conversation where we're bringing up shit that happened days, weeks, and months ago as a reason for why you should be uh, allowed, quote unquote, to be pissed off at this person, you have passed the point of no return on the resistance, resentment, rejection right? You, you are full on into that rejection mode. That is going to take some time to sit down and work your way through that because these resistances and resentments have been building up and building up. And I don't need to have a date and time for the last time you did this. Our brains create patterns. We notice patterns in the way people behave and in the way that people speak. So if, if you or me or anybody else has said something derogatory or done something that I've been wanting to push back on, done enough times, I'm going to notice the pattern. I'm not oblivious to, the, to it. So then when I get in an argument and say, well, you're always having to be right. and You're always saying this. I'm not going to remember the date and time of them all, but I've noticed the pattern. And if I'm noticing the pattern, it's my responsibility to bring it to a conversation point. Because if I'm allowing resistances and resentments to build up, that's on me. Because the other person may not even be aware it's happening. That brings us back to conscious communication. It can be difficult. I'm not saying that it's not tough at times. When we have spent years and years and years of our lives muting ourselves, trying not to be the one who shakes the apple cart, or 
being the person who just wildly shakes the apple cart, in fact, just drives it straight into the wall, shifting our behavior, consciously communicating with love and empathy and compassion, humility and gratitude and integrity. This is going to take practice. We didn't get this way overnight. These are habits that we have been forming for years and years and years. So this whole episode has really been about communication in so many different aspects. A pen and a pad and getting in the lab with this episode, you probably listen to it three or four times and continuously find juicy nuggets. Building all of this up for the 200th episode, and in the future, yes, I will definitely realize that these episodes could have been broken up in just one topic for 25 minutes. But for some reason, when I started putting this together, this just felt right. And I believe I have built a very good story arc here. Conscious communication, we want to move that into acceptance, into detachment, focusing on manipulation versus influence, and then feeding that into our resent, resistances, resentment, rejection, repression conversation, right, and circling all that back to conscious communication. If you are in a relationship with someone that you deeply care about, if you have family members, if you have coworkers, if you have people in your inner circle, best friends that you deeply, deeply care about, and you want to begin to heal the relationship. It is on you to take those steps forward. Because if it's bothering you, then it's up to you to take the first steps. Yes, we absolutely want the person to come along the ride with us once they're alerted to what's happening. But again, we're the ones who decided that personal growth and self-development were going to become focus points of our lives. Not everybody decides this. Some people aren't even aware of the things that you're aware of. And whenever you sit down and calmly and lovingly bring them to their attention, they're not, they're not going to feel as attacked or as defensive. I'm not going to say that they don't feel some level of defense or attack. It's all about their own internal representation, right? How are they internally perceiving what you're saying to them? We won't know until we bring it to them. But I can assure you, if you continuously touch upon these subjects and you do so in a caring and kind and um, gratitude-based way, then slowly but surely, people will begin to communicate back with you in that way. I know, because I have been working on this for four and a half years. I have a fixed mindset around romantic relationships. I have these different um, ideations, these different ideals that I have about a relationship that have never necessarily even been proven. Maybe I saw it on a television show, or I saw it on a movie, or I just idealized, like, this is how I would love my relationships to be. The fixed mindset says, if this is hard work, if we're arguing all the time, then this relationship isn't working. This, this is ridiculous why I'm even here. The growth mindset states that there is always room for improvement if you're willing to put in the work and communicate effectively. The fixed mindset says, nope, nope, this has just been the way that it has been, and there's no fixing it. Right? I'm not saying you don't necessarily have to leave a relationship or end a friendship at some point in your life. I'm not saying that that won't necessarily happen. But if you're not consciously communicating and bringing topics up to them that are important to you, then they never have a chance to actually have a discussion about it. And you are steeped in the fixed mindset. We want to move ourselves into the growth mindset where with time and effort and patience and love and gratitude towards ourselves and the other person, all things can be healed. All things can be grown. It is a, it is a damn shame when I see people 
just actively allowing things to sort of crash and burn around them and and, and just burying themselves into the hill of fixed mindset when it comes to their various relationships. Yes, addiction destroys people, destroys the user, it destroys the family members and the loved ones around them. It destroys communities. That dope sick has proven to me that. But all things can be healed with time. All things can be healed with an open mind and a growth mindset. Some people might say, nope, you know what? Getting off of Oxy and going to Suboxone, is, is you're still on drugs. Yeah, but it's different. It, it's getting people on the path to healing. And that's what we're looking for, the path toward healing. And whether it be a mat or what, in Suboxone, or whether it be sitting down with someone and getting teary-eyed and letting them know that, you know what, there's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering going on inside of you, and you're ready to heal it with them, not against them. I'm telling you, it will only change everything. Okay, my friends, that was it. 199, that went a bit of time. <laughs> That went a bit of time. That one went so long that I actually stopped recording this podcast twice and came back to it. Um, And so my timer currently says 25 minutes because that's when I came back to this one. I'm not sure, but I swear this is probably about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, Whatever it ends up being, thank you very much. I can assure you moving forward, I'm going to be doing a great deal of effort to start to cut some of these episodes down a bit because I'm covering a lot of topics in one episode. And I don't think that that's benefiting us as much as I would like to think that it is. So I have a whole new strategy. It's going to start up um, at episode 201. Um, there's going to be some great things ahead. Thank you so much for being here for 199. Here's to episode 200 and then 2000 beyond that. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to sunshine. Glow on. I'll see you for episode 200. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.